Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. It is a family Sunday, so Miss Ashley and Miss Brianna are gonna come up with a basket full of worship bags for first through fifth graders. And so as they get up here, first through fifth graders, uh, feel free to come on up like Black Friday at Walmart and just come get this from uh, Miss Ashley and Miss Brianna. If you have just finished fifth grade and you feel like you still want one, you're more than welcome. Come grab yourself a basket. If you've just finished 12th grade, maybe not the time for you. Might just not be the time for you to do this. But I wanna invite you to do, to come and grab this. Kids, we value you and what you mean to our church, not just in the future, but what you mean to us today. So we love that you're here with us. And kids, I believe, I believe you can do this. I believe you can study the word of God. You're studying it this summer. You've learned already in your series this summer that the Bible is for everyone. It's for four-year-olds and five-year-olds and six-year-olds and 80-year-olds and 84-year-olds. It's for everyone. You can read it. It's God's word given to you through his spirit that you might understand these words on a page. And secondly, it is for you. It is for your good that God has given you these words. And so I believe you can pay attention. It's gonna be fun today. There's a lot of weird things we're gonna talk about, like baby goats. It's gonna be fun, so I think you're gonna enjoy it. If you would grab your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 20 as we continue our series through the book of Exodus. We're in week 25, by the way. Uh, You've made it to week 25 of our series. Only, I think, like 21 more to go. And then we'll get to the end, but uh, we're here in this interesting portion of Scripture uh, that I wanna study um, this morning. So a few things to kind of help us as we get into it. We just finished the Ten Commandments last week, and God gave them. We're gonna learn later in the book of Exodus, God will write them on tablets of stone. What we're gonna read right now is what's called the law or the book of the covenant or the code of the covenant. And this is just written by Moses, probably on parchment paper. So that tells us a few things. One is this, the 10 commandments are prescriptive. What that means is we should abide by them. This law, this covenant, book of the covenant is descriptive. We're gonna read things in here where you're like, do we still have to do that? And I would say, Probably not, maybe, but no, it's descriptive. A good thing to do when you study the word of God is the first question you have to ask is, what does this tell me about who God is? That's the first question you have to ask. If you begin with, what do I have to do based on this text? You've missed it altogether. The first question is, what does it tell us about God? So we're gonna learn about God through these verses here this morning. It's three chapters. We're gonna finish chapter 20 and go through the first half of chapter 23. I'm not going to read it all. Um, because there are kids in the room, there are some things in here I want you to read out loud to your children. I don't feel like I wanna answer those questions, but you can, so you can do that. Uh, Secondly, it's just a lot, there's a bulk of it, so I wanna get us to where I believe God is leading us here this morning. On the screen will be some scriptures I'm gonna use this morning, and so you can um, look them up later and study them, but I want you to see that what we're teaching this morning is from the word of God, not from uh, my own interpretation of what I want to say, but what God has actually already said to us. Now, before we get into it, I wanna try and experiment with you. Uh, And so we'll see, we're gonna see how this goes together. We did it with the chapel and they were great. So they set the bar pretty high and we'll see how you youngins do over here, all right? So in your mind, I want you to think about a song, any song. And then when I count to three, I want you to start clapping to the rhythm of that song. I don't care what song it is because there's no lyrics. 
Don't you start rapping them. I'm just saying in your head, I want you to think about what, think of a song. When I count to three, everyone start clapping to the rhythm of that song. Are we ready? Everybody got a song? Some of you are like, oh, should I do this one? I don't care. It doesn't matter. No one knows what song you're doing. All right, ready? One, two, three. All right. Well, that is what we call noise. That's just noise, right? That's just, that's not music. There's no rhythm to it. It's just noise because you put a bunch of different rhythms together. So let's try this. I'm gonna count a cadence. One, two, three, four. And I want you to clap whenever you want to. Inside of that cadence, clap on whatever beat you want to, however many beats per minute you want to. We're gonna go that way. I'm gonna give you a cadence and you just come on in clapping whenever you want to. Ready? One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. All right, stop. Most of you just clapped on one, two, three, four. Very creative, by the way, all of you. Man, we, we really got a gift here at this church. All right, now, this is gonna be hard. I'm gonna do the same cadence. And we just need to clap on every other one. The word one. The word one, but every other one. Not when I say it every time, but every other. You got it? Every other time I say one, you clap. We're gonna start with the first one, and then it's every other from there. Are we good? All right, here we go. One, two, three, four, one. Nah, no, every other one. Come on, you, you can do it. I have faith in you. You can do it. This is, this is crucially important to my message, so if you screw this up, we're just gonna go home. All right, should have thought about this before we started. All right, ready? One, two, three, four, one. No, 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 no. Every other. Joel. All right, ready? Here we go. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, one. No, two, three, four, one. Okay, all right. Was that hard for everyone? I'm sweating. I'm sweating up here because of how hard that was for you. It was awful. All right. Since we've nailed that so well, let's just, we're gonna try another way. All right. This half, you're gonna clap every other one, just like we just did, or like some of us just did. <laughs> Got it? Every other one. You are gonna clap on every one. You get the easy job. Every time we say one, clap. <laughs> Can I be any more clear on that? Ready? Here we go. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One. Good. All right. How was that? Are we good? We're getting there. I feel like we're doing really well. We moved away from noise into a middle schooler playing the drums. We're doing fine. All right. Now, here we go. Okay. This section. Stay with it. Every other one. I feel like we're starting to practice and Talking about practice? Yeah, practice. You can do it. All right. And you're going to do the every one, this section right here. You guys are going to clap on the two and three, both of them. Two, three. You're going to practice? One. Oh, well done. All right. Every other, every other one, every one, and the two and the three. Okay. Should we pray first? Or everybody, we feel okay? All right. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two. All right, good. All right, now, here we go. 
Every other one, just you guys, every other one. Everyone. Yes, you like that, Micah? Everyone. Two and three and four. No one's done four yet. Are we okay? First time, the maiden voyage on number four. We're good. Here, what are you guys doing? Well done. All right, here we go. Ready, go. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two. All right, give yourselves a hand. Well done. Well done, well done. All right, that is called rhythm. Okay? We'll get there together. We will, I promise, we'll get there together. That's rhythm. In our church, predominantly, we're gonna struggle with that just as a whole, but that's, that is rhythm. That's how it works for us. Now, we all need rhythm in our lives. We need rhythm. We need it physically. Our hearts have a rhythm to them. Anyone who's had an irregular heartbeat, you understand what happens when your heart is out of rhythm. It just messes everything up. You feel sick and lethargic. If you've had arrhythmia or heart palpitations, whatever it is, you've, you've experienced that before. God has ordained the world to, wrote, to work in a rhythm. It's, it's morning and it's night. There are seven days of the week. There are, there's rhythm that happens. There are seasons. God has set up rhythms for us. And not just physically, we're gonna learn here this morning, God has set up spiritual rhythms for us as well. And in the very same way that an irregular heartbeat, arrhythmia, whatever it is, will cause you to feel a certain way, a spiritual irregular heartbeat can do the same thing for us. For many of us, the reason why you're frustrated and agitated today is because you've got an irregular spiritual heartbeat. The rhythm of your heart has not functioned according to God's plan for your heart, for your life, spiritually. This morning, we're gonna study into that just um, a little bit. So I wanna read, I'm just gonna read the end of chapter 20, and then the first verse of chapter 21. I'm gonna give us some context. Then we're gonna... We're gonna just study portions of the book of the covenant after this. Please read it all on your own. There are some things in there that will blow your mind, but what I hope I'm giving you today is a framework by which to read it. So let's begin. Exodus chapter 20, verse 22. God just gave the 10 commandments to Moses. Verse 22, and then the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. So they all heard it, the thunder and the lightning. You shall not make gods of silver. You can underline that to be with me. Nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. You can underline that. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn or cut stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. And then verse one of chapter 21. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. I don't know how you feel about seasons. I'm gonna say a word maybe you don't feel like I should say in church, but I hate the summer. I hate it. I strongly dislike the summer, kids. I, I do. I just, anybody else? It's not the heat. Like I, I grew up in Florida. I don't mind the heat. I love baseball. So I love this time of year. Can't wait for the all-star game. I love all of that. Um, I love being able to go to the beach or go on vacation. I, I love all that. Here's what I do not like about the summer is there is no routine at all in the summer. And I love being a routine. Gosh, I love it. And my kids need routine. And so when the summer hits and there is no routine, it's just chaos in my house. Everything changes. My work schedule changes. 
Um, bedtime changes. I think we still have bedtime at our house. I'm not sure because it's summer, right? There's uh, screen time. There's like no limits now because I just need some quiet. All those things, everything changes. From Anybody else just really struggle without rhythm and routine. So come August 3rd when the kids go back to school, gosh, I'm, I'm just praying so hard for that day. And I love my kids. I love them being home. Like I love my time with them. But we all, we all need it, man. We all need some rhythm and routine in our lives. Because when we lack routine, when we lack rhythm, chaos ensues for us. And some of you people, man, you love chaos, so you love it. And you're fine right now. I just also wanna encourage you, make sure you pay your mortgage because that's important. And so do that uh, when you're not having rhythm. Make sure you keep your lights on at your house. But when there's no rhythm and no routine, there's a struggle for us. And so I don't know if this happens in your home, in my home, I feel like summer has, man, it's really blown up into something really big for people. Like there are some kids who go to camp every week in the summer. They do all kinds of camps and good for you if you do that, praise the Lord for you. Um, great for you, I can't afford it. But those of you who can, wonderful, glad for you. But what is created in my household is a weird expectation that my kids have to go to Disney World every week. That happened for you? Can we go to the Great Wolf Lodge? No, because I don't wanna take out another loan for that. No, we're not doing that today. Uh, they, every morning the question is, what are we doing today? What, I'm going to work. I don't know what you're doing today. I have no idea. I have, I have ideas of what you could do today if you want me to tell you them, but you don't often like the things that I want you to do. So maybe, maybe nothing. And then I feel like such an old man. So I'm like, back in my day, I'm 42 and I'm, I'm already saying, back in my day, we rode our bikes in the summer. We built ramps. We broke arms. We played baseball on the street. That's what we did. I, if you want to do that, I would invite you to. Like that. But it's become this expectation of is every, every day has to be Friday. Does that, does that make sense to you? Like every day in my house has to be some holiday. I'm like, can it, can it just be Monday today? Can we just have Monday where you wake up and you eat your Fruit Loops and then you, maybe you lay around in your pajamas. I don't care. And then you go outside into the, the world. You go see the sunshine and then you go out there for a little while. You get creative and then you come back in and I mean, can we just do that? My kids are like, yeah, but I mean, maybe, but tomorrow then can we go to Great Wolf Lodge? Like, come on, I don't, I don't think you're hearing what I'm saying. But the same thing has happened for us, I think, as followers of Jesus. We expect every day to be like Friday at camp. We always want the mountaintop. But throughout scripture, you're gonna learn there are very few mountaintops and a whole bunch of valleys. And so what we're gonna read this morning um, is that. This is how do we behave in the valley. When we're not in the mountain, when it's just another day, what does life look like? So let's go back to chapter 20, verse 22. I wanna teach a bit here and then we'll study some other portions of scripture. And the Lord said to Moses, thus shall you say to the people of Israel, you've seen for yourselves that I've talked with you from heaven. You, you saw all of that. You know who I am. You've heard my thundering voice. You've seen the lightning. You saw the, the mountain shake. And then he says in 23, so you shall not make gods of silver to be with me nor shall you make yourselves gods of gold. This is a reference back to the first two commandments. But then notice here, we gotta pay attention to the words in scripture. Notice here in 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me. I don't want gods of gold and silver. I don't want all of that. Here's, here's how you work with me in the ordinary. Here's what it looks like for me. I just, I want an earthen altar. On there, you can sacrifice your burnt offerings. Burnt would have been a sin offering. A peace offering would have been for fellowship with God, peace with God. That's what he's talking about here. The burnt offering, um, you would cage and cook all of it. Like it would just be burnt to a crisp. That's how you would burn an offering. 
The other peace offering you would cook in such a way, then you would actually eat and partake of it together as a means of fellowship. That's what this is referencing. Your sheep and your oxen. Then God says, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. Which then begins to make sense why God's, God wants an altar of earth, because that's everywhere. Gold and silver is not everywhere. I want to be reminded, I'm everywhere. 25, and if you make me an altar of stone, which is still considered earth, he says, you shall not build it of hewn stones. You shall not cut it. It's as if, like Joel says, God is saying, I think I did a good enough job already. No need to improve what I made. Just use the stones I gave you. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. Some Kind of an odd portion of scripture we'd read right through to get to the action, but this is so important for us to understand about the character of God. God wants simple worship, simple adoration, simple pursuit. This is what God is asking for. I don't, I don't need all the trappings. I don't need the silver and the gold. Just give me this. When we worship in the valley, this is what I'm asking for. Just asking for an altar of the earth. And even if you find stones to make an altar of, that's fine. Just don't cut them. Let them be. Let it be what it is. Then he continues in verse 26, and you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. God didn't set some kind of booby trap to like pull their clothes off when they went up steps. Uh, I want you to think about the fact that they're wearing robes and you ladies who wear dresses and skirts, you understand the higher you go, the more exposed you will be. Here's what God wants. God is saying, I want simple, modest worship. That's all I'm asking for. He would tell David, a broken and contrite heart, the Lord will not despise. So keep this in mind as we go through here, but that's what God is laying out before them is, I know you've seen all the other gods and you've seen all the altars and you've seen the precious jewels and the gold and the silver. I don't want any of that. All I'm asking you for is modest, genuine worship. That's what I want. That's what I want from you. I don't need anything fancy. I don't need multi-million dollar facilities. I don't need that. All I'm asking you for is this. That's important because that leads us to the next verse. And chapters sometimes get in the way of us understanding the context. But this flows right into the next verse of chapter 21. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. Some of your translations, the word rules there says ordinance. Does it say ordinance in your Bible? It might be a better translation, um, but ordinance is actually the Hebrew word is mishpat, which means judgment. That's what it means. These are the judgments. These are the ordinances. Now, in our language, what I've learned um, this past week, but I've never put together before, which makes perfect sense. Ordinance and ordinary come from the same root word. And they both mean to put into order. You wanna know why things feel ordinary to you and to me? Because they're in the order they're supposed to be. And it just feels like, oh yeah, of course, it's ordinary. It's just ordinary. When God lays out these ordinances, what he's laying out is, I'm gonna lay out the ordinary way in which followers of me should live their lives. This should be ordinary to us. This shouldn't be exemplary and extraordinary. This, in fact, should just be ordinary. So God lays out this ordinary code of the covenant. Now, this is Hebrew. So they would have had Hebrew or Jewish calendars with the number of feasts and festivals, which I'm sure we'll talk about sometime in the future. But from that calendar, um, the church, the early church, and then well, later on, had created what's called the liturgical calendar or the church calendar. Anybody be from like a liturgical church calendar kind of church where you walk through a few things? All right, this will be fun. Same amount of people that have rhythm, so I think we're in good shape. Um, 
So the liturgical calendar, it functions in such a way that churches operate by this calendar so that churches around the world are teaching the same text, studying the same thing on the same Sunday. That's kind of the idea. There's a number of seasons and it begins with the season of Advent. That's where the church calendar begins. We do Advent here, uh, proclaiming the arrival of the first and second coming of Jesus. Advent is the first season that leads us into Christmas. And then Christmas leads us into what's called the season of Epiphany, which is right after Christmas. We did a series last year called Epiphany, which is the revealing of Jesus as the Messiah. So that's from there. Now, um, after Epiphany comes a season which is called Ordinary Time. Very, very creative, ordinary time. From ordinary time, it moves into a season called Lent. I'm sure you've heard of Lent. From Lent then becomes Easter. Some traditions from Easter then uh, have Pentecost as well. But then from there, it goes back into, you guessed it, ordinary time until Advent. Of the 52 weeks in the church calendar, 34 of them are in what's called ordinary time. 65% of the church calendar is simply called ordinary time which should tell us something about our lives. The bulk of our lives is ordinary. It's just ordinary time for us, 65%. Now what ordinary time does is that it creates a rhythm in us. And because we are broken and fallen, we're often tempted to adapt or adopt the rhythm of the world rather than the rhythm of God in our ordinary time. We like Advent, we like Christmas, we like Easter, but what about the ordinary time in between? How do we handle the ordinary time? That's what this passage is completely about. It's about the ordinary time. I've gotten in trouble for saying this before, so I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna tread lightly. I think Tuesdays are worthless. I know there's Taco Tuesday. I don't wanna hear it, LeBron, it's fine. But I want you to think throughout the week, so Sunday, I mean, it's the day of worship. We come to church and we all love it because we can't believe we get to be in this church and listen to this music and hear this amazing pastor. I know, I know, we get it. So from there, I'm just kidding. Um, and then, then comes Monday and Monday is a day that everybody hates going to work, but also Monday has Monday night football, right? And why, I like that, I like, I like that. And then Tuesday happens and there's really not much on Tuesday unless, you know, unless you're the taco person, that's fine. And then Wednesday is hump day. It has its own name. It's hump day and you get over the hump. And then Thursday is the day before Friday. Thursday feels like Friday to a lot of us and we like that. Then you get Friday and then it's Saturday. But that Tuesday, man, just feels like such an, what do you do on a Tuesday? It's what my kids ask. What are we doing today? I don't know. It's Tuesday. So there's nothing on TV and I don't know what we're going to do. Most of our life is Tuesday. And I know you don't wanna believe it because you live in an Instagram culture, but most of our lives happens on Tuesdays. I know we try to proclaim that it's a Friday and we love Fridays, but every, most of our lives happens on Tuesday. So the question for us then is what do we do in our Tuesdays? And this is what happens here, what's answered in Exodus chapter uh, 21 through 23. So let me give us some context first of all. First is this, this is uh, descriptive, not prescriptive. This tells us about a particular group of people. And let me handle this off the top because you're gonna get right into it. I want you to hear me say this. The Bible does not condone slavery. It never has. God is vehemently opposed to slavery, particularly in cases where you're a slave based on the color of your skin or your nationality. That is, God is vehemently opposed to slavery. So when it begins here in chapter 21 and you read slavery and people will tell you, well, the Bible condones slavery. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. The Bible does not condone slavery. 
It does not condone the treat, different treatment of people and value of people based on the color of their skin. It does not. This slavery here in chapter 21 um, is different from us. So I'm just gonna read this just so we can understand. The Bible, the Bible's ideas of slave is, is responsible for the elimination of slavery, not its establishment. The ideas of man-stealing and lifelong servitude, the concepts of slavery, simply do not apply to this practice of slavery. Normally here in this slavery, it was chosen or mutually arranged. It was of limited duration and highly regulated. There were four basic ways a Hebrew might become a slave to another Hebrew. In extreme poverty, they might sell their services as a means uh, to pay it back. A father might sell a daughter as a servant into a home with the intention that she would eventually marry into that family as a, as a, a Dow price. In the case of bankruptcy, a man might become servant to his creditors. FPU is coming in the fall for those of you falling in line there. And if a thief had nothing with which to pay proper restitution, he would then work for a person. So I want you to hear me say this. God never condones slavery. So when you read through, it's like, oh, well, I guess he's okay with it. No, 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 no. He's not okay with it. That being said, we're gonna read some of these passages that's gonna give us some context about it. So in the ordinary, in our ordinary time, the emphasis is on the vulnerable. The Bible calls them the sojourner, traveler, foreigner, the widow, the poor, the orphan, the servant, and women. Exodus chapter 22, let's get there. We're gonna look at verses 21 through 27. And I wanna show you God's heart in the ordinary, in these ordinances. Exodus 22, verse 21. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child and orphan. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. I mean, doesn't it sound like the God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy? This tells us a lot about how God views the vulnerable. It says, if you oppress or mistreat the vulnerable, I'll kill you with the sword. If you ever read that in scripture, that reference is, I'll bring other nations in to destroy you. I will equip other nations to destroy you. But then he continues and says, oh, and I'm gonna make your wife a widow. I'm gonna make your children fatherless. What does God think about the vulnerable? God loves and cares for the vulnerable. What does God think about those who can't fight for themselves? God loves and he fights for them in such a way that if you mistreat the vulnerable, you have the wrath of God against you. This tells us about the heart of God, which tells us about some of these ordinances. This is a number of these ordinances, most of them have to do with how we treat one another. And they all come from this. God cares about how we treat each other. He cares. He continues in verse 25. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. I've sent that to my mortgage company and they disagree. <laughs> Verse 26, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak in a pledge, or he says, I have nothing to give, but I'll give you this. He says, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, which means you don't have leverage. For that is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear. 
for I am compassionate. God cares about the vulnerable. These ordinances, in the ordinary time, it's about how we treat people. What God is doing here is he's separating, he's distinguishing his people from the Egyptians. What would the Egyptians do? They would take advantage of the poor. What would the Egyptians do? They would uh, take advantage of someone in money lending. What would they do? They would take advantage of the widow and the orphan. This is what they would do. When a woman would lose her husband, she would um, basically fall under the state and she would be a ward of the state and they could do whatever they wanted to her. And God is saying, no, no, no. If you're gonna follow me in your ordinary time, you're not gonna be like the Egyptians. We're gonna treat the vulnerable differently. And this is why, look at Exodus chapter 23, verse nine. You can turn there. God says, you shall not oppress the sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. God knows our hearts and he knows that very quickly the slave turns into the slave master because they forget what it's like to be a slave. And God is reminding the people of Israel, you remember what it's like to be a foreigner in a distant land. You remember this. You remember what it's like to be treated differently because of the color of your skin. You remember what it's like to be vulnerable. You remember. That's why you have a heart for the vulnerable because you have to remember. Maybe you're like me and that when God sets you free from sin, often it's the person who struggles with that same sin that you were the harshest on. You have to remember, you know what it's like to be addicted to that. You know what it's like to face that. You know what it's like to have that kind of a marriage, have raised those kinds of children. You have to remember where God has brought you from. What does God care about in the ordinary time? God cares about the vulnerable. He cares about how we treat one another. But in the rhythm of the daily, God builds in another rhythm. Let's look at verse 10 of Exodus chapter 23. For six years, you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat and what they, and what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. So God says, for six years, gather all you want. But in the seventh year, let it rest because the poor people need to eat and so are the beasts of the field. And you'll have it back the year after that. This is the precursor to a Levitical law that says to leave the edges of the field for the sojourner, for the traveler. Which if you remember, takes us to Ruth chapter two. And that's why Ruth and Naomi had food to eat. God sets ordinances in place, not just for today, but for the years to come. And so he tells them this thing, verse 12, six days you shall do your work, but the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien, the foreigner, may be refreshed. So you notice God, for the bulk of this, has given them daily ordinances. Here's how you treat people on the daily. And now he's saying, now I want you to build in another rhythm. Every seven years, let the land rest. Every seven years, let the uh, foreigner come in to eat. And then he says, there's also a weekly rhythm. Work for six days and rest on the seventh. So he's building in rhythms for them. Then verse 13, God says, pay attention to all that I have said to you. Make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Don't come to God and say, well, the other gods let me do this. He's like, I don't care. Don't let it be heard on your lips. Verse 14, three times in the year, you shall keep a feast to me. So he gave the seven-year rhythm, the seven-day rhythm. Now he's given them an annual rhythm. There should be feasts three times a year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. That's the first feast, which takes them back to the Passover. Passover. 
As I commanded you, you shall eat the unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, which is in it, in the month in which they came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall also keep the feast of the harvest, the second feast of the year. Of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field, you shall keep the feast of ingathering. That's the third feast. At the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor, three times a year shall all your males appear before the Lord your God. So God is giving them rhythms in which to live in their ordinary time. And in the ordinary time, he gives them some extraordinary times. He gives them the seventh year, which is extraordinary. It doesn't feel ordinary to just let everything die and go and rest. It doesn't feel ordinary to take the seventh day off from our labor that we might rest and worship. It doesn't feel ordinary that they should gather three times a year to celebrate uh, the feasts and the festivals God has given to them. God has built in rhythm for them, both in the ordinary and in the extraordinary. So let me say it like this to us today. In following Jesus, we don't just get to follow him in the extraordinary. We are called to follow him in the ordinary as well. The call to follow Jesus is not a call to celebrate Christmas and Easter. Even the pagans celebrate Christmas and Easter. The call is to celebrate God on a Tuesday. That's the call of a Christian. And at Christmas and Easter. And the call of a follower of Jesus is not to serve God and to worship God uh, Monday through Saturday and then golf on Sunday. It is to worship him together in the gathering on Sundays. This is the rhythm God's built for us. And if you feel agitated, you feel frustrated, you feel like uh, ends aren't meeting, things aren't working, you feel that irregular spiritual heartbeat, I would encourage you to examine your rhythms. What are your rhythms? Are you setting aside a day to worship and to rest? Are you setting aside festivals and feasts that matter to you spiritually, not just commercially? And then finally, is every day a day of worship for you? Many of us will leave from here today and we will go to a restaurant. And at that restaurant, they will be short-staffed. And they will be so short-staffed that they will get your drink order wrong. And then they're gonna forget to bring the ranch you ordered. And you've got a moment to decide, am I gonna be like Egypt or am I gonna be like Israel? And you might think it doesn't matter because it's just an ordinary time and God says, no, 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 I care about the ordinary time. And you're gonna have a chance when you get home this afternoon with your kids who, by the way, are vulnerable to decide how you're going to raise and to treat them. And you have a decision to make. Will I, will I raise them like Egypt or will I raise them like a child of God? You see, for following Jesus, he's giving us all of it. The rhythm is daily, it's weekly, and it's annual. It's a both and. Then we continue in verse 18. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. Then verse 19. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Got it? All right, let's pray. Some translations say you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. I just want to be clear. You should never boil a kid. But the word kid you're reading is another word for a young goat. Also, if a mother can produce that much milk, we need to have a different conversation. But this is what's happening. So here, the question is, well, what does this mean, right? Because 
if we believe 2 Timothy 3, that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, it's useful. If we believe that, that every uh, cross of a T and dot of an I has been ordained by God, then this had to be left in here for a reason. And let me just tell you this. This is not the only time it's mentioned in the Bible. This command, this ordinance is mentioned three times in the Old Testament. So it seems like it might be valuable. It might be something we need to understand. The problem is even the rabbis didn't quite understand what this meant. It's why today uh, kosher Jews will not eat a cheeseburger. They'll eat a hamburger, but they won't eat a cheeseburger because it is meat with dairy, which comes from this command, this ordinance in Exodus 23, 19. I think it's a sad way to live, but it's fine. Like that's, what, that's what's there. So let me put it in context for you. Every time it's mentioned in the Old Testament, it's connected to the command before it about the first fruits in verse 19. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Then he says, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Well, with that connection, we begin to understand a few things. The first is this. This was a pagan practice where they would take a brand new baby goat and they would take the milk from the nursing mother and they would boil it. And they would put the goat, live goat, into the boiling water until it was dead and it would season the milk. It would season the mother's milk. And they would eat it, but more importantly, they would take the milk and they would then sprinkle it and spread it on all of their crops. In their, in their, wherever, whatever they were growing, they would sprinkle it there because the belief was this was an act of fertility, both for the person, but also for the land. And the connection we have to make here is for the land. So let's just look at it this way. If God said to give me your first fruits and you felt like what you had to give in your first fruits wasn't enough, wouldn't you want to get more first fruits for God? And then wouldn't you be tempted then to adapt the way, adopt the way of the world that you might gather more first fruits to give to him? That's what God is saying. I knew I was called to ministry um, in high school. I knew it. I just knew God had called me to it and I hated it. I did not want to do it at all. I didn't want to go into ministry. It didn't make sense to me. I didn't like, um, I felt like I had other things that I needed to do, other gifts I had I wanted to explore. And so I made a deal with God, which is I, I would not recommend, but I made a deal with him. And I said, listen, I would really like to be a professional baseball player. And God was like, you're not good enough. I was like, I, I know, but things happen. And uh, so I was like, I, here's, I'm gonna go to college to be a civil engineer. And because I can't play baseball, I'm gonna design baseball stadiums. And God, I'm gonna get really rich and I'm, I'm gonna give you a lot of that money. Like I know the Bible says 10%, I might give you 12 or so. Like I, I'm gonna make a deal with you. This is what I want to do. And this speaks to me this morning because I think that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to use the rhythms of the world to worship God. God doesn't desire us to worship him with the rhythms of the world. The temptation for you is, well, maybe if I just worked on Sunday, Maybe if I took this trip, maybe if I took that promotion, maybe if I did this, and then in your mind you're saying, well, then I could give more to the church, I could pay for my kid to go to camp, and God's saying, I don't, don't use the world's rhythms to worship me. I've given you rhythms. And the rhythms are daily in how you treat people. They're weekly in that there's a day set aside for worship and for rest. They're annual in that there are certain times of the year that are elevated to worship together. We can't use the rhythms of the world to worship God. And that takes us all the way back to Exodus chapter 20, 23 through 26, in which God says, don't give me the silver and gold of the world. I just want the earth altar. I want modest and simple worship. That's it. That's all I want. 
Well, then the question is, well, what does modest and genuine worship look like? What does what true worship look like? Well, James answers that in the New Testament, in James chapter one. James says that we must be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. You know how easy it is to be a hearer and not a doer if you're just following a yearly or weekly rhythm? You know how easy it is? Because you're got, you've heard some stuff today and some of you are like, man, I need, to, I need to make some changes. And by the time you get home after lunch, you forgot. It's so easy to not be a doer when you aren't in the rhythm. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Do you deceive yourselves? For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Notice James uses a man here and not a woman. Because a man looks in the mirror and we're like, it's not bad. Or we look in the mirror like, man, my wife is lucky. Look at me. I mean, look at me. A woman looks in the mirror and all she can see are the things that are wrong. She never forgets what she looks like in a mirror. And so God uses a man because a man can look in the mirror and immediately you forget, I had that thing. I had, I had pizza sauce on my mouth. I had hair gel in my hair that I needed to rub in. Like that's, this is, God says, this is what it's like. You look at yourself in a mirror, but you forget what you look like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty or of freedom and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, anyone else feel that? If you claim to be religious, but you can't watch your mouth, if you claim to be religious, but you can't watch what you post on social media and what you text to your friends, you deceive your heart. If you claim to be religious in the extraordinary times, but you're not watching your tongue in the ordinary, then you're deceiving yourself. If you come to church and pretend to have it all together and you worship and you raise your hands and you sing all the songs and then you go home and mistreat your wife, you are not a follower of Jesus. You don't know. That's not religion. That's not true, authentic worship. That's not the worship that God desires. You're putting on silver and gold and God could care less about your silver and gold. What God asks for is an earthen altar with uncut stone. So when you come to the altar, you're not coming to the altar as anything extraordinary. You're coming to the altar as who you are. If anyone thinks he's religious, does not bridle his tongue. Anyone thinks he is religious but doesn't uh, treat people well in the ordinary, he deceives his heart and this person's religious is, religion is worthless. It's not bad. It's not that it should be fixed. It's worthless. It doesn't matter. So come in here and sing your songs. Put on your clothes. Put the bumper stickers on your car. But if you're not gonna care for the vulnerable, then you're wasting your time. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What does worship at an earthen altar look like? We visit orphans and widows in their affliction. We care for the vulnerable. It matters how we treat people. It matters how we treat people in person. It matters how we treat people online. It matters how we treat people in our classrooms. It matters how we treat people on the phone. It matters. It matters how you talk to customer service people. I love you, but it matters. It matters. 
It matters how you treat telemarketers. It matters how you treat the gas station attendant. It matters. It matters how you treat your ex-wife and your ex-husband. It matters. It matters how you treat government officials. It matters how you treat your son's baseball coach. It matters. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world, to keep yourself from Egypt. I don't know where you find yourself on a Tuesday, but Egypt has no business in your Tuesdays. Has no business in your marriage, no business in the way you're raising kids, has no business in your schools, and has no business at your job place in your cubicle. It has no business in the words you say on 81 or I-75. Has no business. And I know we feel like it's petty, but I take you back to Exodus 21 through 23. God cares about the ordinary. And what set his people apart is not that they had festivals. Everyone had festivals. What set them apart was how they treated people in the ordinary. So the call for us today is, how's that going for you? How's it going? How are the words coming out of your mouth or off of your fingers? How's that going for you? When things get stressful, how's that going for you? Then the question is, how's your rhythm? Where are you off? Because God's designed us in such a way to function according to his rhythm. And he set it. He set the rhythm. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning as we wrap up? God has rescued us from slavery. If you're a follower of Jesus, he has delivered you from the slavery of an oppressive master. Not that you would run back into slavery, but that you would be free, that you would actually sit under his mastery, under the mastery of the Lord. There's some of us today who we might call Jesus Savior because you checked a box on a card when you were nine years old. But I'm asking you, is he Lord of your ordinary? And if he's not, you might need to do some work to examine your heart. Are you really following the Savior? Are you just trying to get into heaven? The way of Egypt, the way of the world, finds itself in our lives, particularly in the seasons of the ordinary. For many of us right now, it's just ordinary. Have we guarded our hearts against the way of Egypt? The demand of God is to worship him at an altar with uncut stones. It's not perfect, it's not beautiful, but it's real. And it's not just real on a Sunday, it's real on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday as well. Maybe your rhythm's gotten out of whack and you feel it. Well, what rhythm does the Lord have for you? Well, he's got a daily rhythm of the way that you seek him and open your Bible, study and worship him. He's got a rhythm in your daily about how you treat people. He's got a rhythm for your week. He's got a rhythm for your year. And when we are in rhythm with him, that's when we find peace and contentment and joy. Father, thank you for this morning. If there's anyone in the room today who does not know you, who maybe they've just been pretending, they've got the silver and gold down, but today the conviction is you haven't asked for it, that you've asked for a broken and contrite heart. God, would you draw them to you and remind them that salvation is found only by admitting their sinfulness, believing that Jesus is who he says that he is, and confessing with their mouths and their lives that you are Lord. 
save people today. Then for those of us who are feeling agitated by the unkept rhythm that you've given us, God, would you draw us back to your heart? Remind us that you are for us. And today, may we be shining examples of the kingdom of heaven in everywhere that we go today. From a restaurant to our home and our backyard. And tomorrow as we um, celebrate a holiday, the 4th of July, God, would you do the same for us? Remind us who we are in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.